members and our external auditor Ben Mack is here. We need our CCO. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome in. Open the meeting. Can you please call? Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Chyland is absent. Trustee Chiquin. Present. Trustee Lawrence. Here. Trustee Thompson. Here. Do we have a quorum? Excellent. Do we have any public comments? Alright, so with that, let's get started. First item on the agenda is the approval of minutes from our March meeting. May I have a motion? I move approval. Second. All right. All, all approval? Aye. Any nays, abstentions? All right. So moved. And with that, we am going to introduce Ben Mack and Elizabeth Lonia. Welcome. Um, our external audit folks have been with us. Moss Adams says this is our third year with you. Is it uh, with Moss Adams? Yes. So, um, so as you know, they will be pre preparing our annual financial statement audit for the year that's ending on June 30th. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Ben and Liz. We have it already. All right. Um, do I need to be mic'd up here? Is that a little bit better? Okay. Yes. Um, good. All right. Um, I'm Ben Mack. This is Liz Lanier. Um, we are here to communicate to you uh, what we plan to do in terms of a financial statement audit. Um, probably the most important thing is if you have questions where we go, this is a great time to ask questions about the process, what an audit is, that sort of thing. Um, so with no further ado, uh, take you through your team, uh, same team as last year. Um, uh, some of these folks you've met, some of them you haven't met. Uh, Liz here manages the audit for all three engagements. Uh, we have a separate audit reviewer, Kim Mintong, for the single audit portion of this. Um, Brian Connor is the concurring kind of technical review, and he's pretty involved. Moving on to the next slide, what are we required to communicate? So right now, we're going to talk about what we're, and this is required under professional standards. Um, we'll talk about our responsibility um, under government auditing standards, and this is an audit performed under government auditing standards because uh, you get a significant amount of uh, federal grant funding. So that means as a practical matter, when we perform these audit standards, we're under a slightly different set of auditing standards than if you if, if you didn't get those monies. We'll talk about the scope and the timing of the audit. What will we tell you later, as in, in the fall? Uh, significant audit findings. Well, what is significant? I'm sorry. I, I, I know you're going to want to flow, but what is significant to you? Um, a significant audit finding uh, let's say an audit adjustment that management either decides to make or decides not to make that's over, just for sake of discussion here, a million dollars, something like that. So not a, not a huge audit adjustment. Um, it could be um, a finding of a control weakness. 
that you would uh, define as either a significant deficiency or a material weakness. Those would probably be the first two things that I would think of. Thank you. Um, we will uh, talk to you about qualitative aspects of accounting practices, um, and if they seem reasonable from a qualitative standpoint, we'll tell you about any significant difficulties that we uh, encountered in performing the audit. Uh, I think I already talked about corrected and uncorrected misstatements. Give you a copy of the representations that management makes to us. Um, management uh, could, uh, we could come to a disagreement about accounting for a certain matter and management could uh, essentially retain another firm to get a second position. Um, that does happen from time to time. That's well within management's rights to do that. We're required to communicate that to you when we're under the impression that management has done that. Um, and then any, anything else that, that seems like we should bring up to you. Um, obviously, you know, going back to seeing, you know, if there's fraud uh, it, it, that is material or relates to financial reporting, we communicate that to you. Any questions about that? I did. Um, how, and I know you must have said this last year, as well, but how closely do you work with the internal um, audit as well in terms of, you know, when you're doing, um, assessing internal controls or other the material? So we, we meet with Rick. Um, I get a copy of his internal audit work plan. We look to see other things there that we could leverage or are there findings that are so significant that we think we should plan our audit differently. Those are really the two things that we do. In terms of working closely with internal audit, um, we've always been told that we, we you know, we kind of report up, up through Rick. So just in terms of mechanically, uh, you know, I try to give them a heads up of, of, of how are we doing and um, um, things of that nature. So bi-directional, you can update your plan based on some of the audit findings and they also, the scale of what you're doing is is determined by what you're seeing in our own internal work plan as well. Go ahead. If you had a situation where for some reason Mr. Kibler wasn't being as responsive as you felt needed, would you go directly to the chair of the audit committee? Yes. Good answer. Have you done that yet? We have not. If Rick is finding things that you missed, what, what might be the reason for that to occur? The biggest reason I would think, um, and I do do some in internal audit work as well as part of my practice, as does Liz, uh, is, is that they have different scopes and they, they have different objectives. So internal audit can both be a thing to get assurance over, you know, you could have an internal audit over assurance that, you know, what are our processes and controls to see that um, hiring the, um, um, you know, uh, the kitchen staff are adequate, right? What about things like accounts payable? Uh, again, so if, if, if they were, if he was doing work that would be in scope from financial con uh, reporting and controls, so like detailed approval over accounts payable, I would expect that if Rick did an audit over accounts payable, um, 
you know, there might be, generally speaking, you know, and, and I'd let you speak to the scope of your audits, but it wouldn't be unusual that people might spend two, three hundred hours doing an internal audit over it. We're looking to see are there enough basic controls to catch a material error. He might be looking to see, um, you know, in a like a materials management sense. Hey, are we really going out and getting the right contracts? And I'm going to be putting words into your mouth, but um, you know, what does that contracting process look like? Or uh, you know, there's all sorts of different ways that you could take that. I mean, I'm sure you could do. Um, you know, you can do a thousand hours worth of materials management, disbursement type internal audits out here if you if so, you so your, your sampling of things is going to be smaller than what he might do. Is that is that what I'm hearing? That might be the case. And ours are also we're doing tests specifically to look for material errors. Um, and so the material know, errors of significant of the million dollars is that what you're talking about i think a material error here would be significantly more than a million dollars you know you're a billion dollar a year organization you know an error in your financial statements for someone to read them and say you know okay now i think differently about what this organization is doing i think that that would be well over uh you know well over a million dollars right now you might do your testing, you, know, you probably don't make hardly any purchases that are a million dollars, right? So, you, for instance, when we look at disbursement controls, we'll look at a sample of the controls over small disbursements, right? And we're really looking to see, for example, um, is there approve is there approval level uh, adhered to? Um, is there evidence of review with purchases, right? And you kind of think, okay, if we're getting evidence of review over purchases consistently, it's hard to get to a material error. But an internal audit might like to say, well, hey, are those purchases, is that the best purchase we could have made? Um, you know, should we bought generic? Um, something like that, right? So you can go in a lot different directions with an internal audit because you might have that, that kind of business process improvement type scope or just frankly a lower scope. Does that help? So I, I think the, the difference there is that uh, I'm looking uh, at a lot more transactions in a lot more detail uh, because I have more time to focus on that area. And I'm looking uh, to make sure that, that these are valid purchases that are within the budget, that management has approved them, uh, that, you know, all the uh, supporting documentation is there and then if I find something then I go down the rabbit hole and I look for more of that kind of thing so uh, in the instance where I identified an expired contract then I went out and looked at the contract log and identified all the expired contracts and started looking to see did I make or did we make a payment on any of those mm -hmm and then start creating the list. And then I'm spending weeks doing something that uh, is hopefully going to benefit the organization, but then I know the full impact of that issue. Well, I, I suppose I ask a question, and, and it, it's unfair to, to you, but because um, you haven't seen our agenda for later. But I, I suppose I ask part of the question, because when you have an external auditor, 
and we say everything looks good, we don't see significant findings, you know, there are little things like this. Um, and then we have an internal auditor who, who gets a chance to look deeper and discovers things that are, are disconcerting. Mm -hmm. What we've got to remind ourselves as a committee is that there are checks and balances here, and your audit process, your external audit process, has some limitations. So we may not necessarily just be comfortable with the fact that we had an external audit and they didn't find, not that, I mean, we're so glad we don't find the big things, but, but clearly we're not getting deep enough when we, un when we uncover things that are disconcerting. Yeah, and, and another point is that oftentimes the work that Ben's doing is at a point in time. It looks at this date and it looks at this date, and that's the testing he's doing where Rick, you know, may be looking at every day within a period of time. And, you know, you can, a lot can happen between the two points in time that Ben may test. Yes, and, I, and this is not to cast aspersions on No, no, I'm not, no, I'm sorry, I'm not saying I, I'm just wanting context. to make certain yeah. that we understand as an organization and certainly as a board or a committee that when we hear from an external auditor, we take this big sigh of relief and we go about our way until we, until our internal guy does some deeper stuff and we go, oh my word. Um, so that was the point of my question. I think you upset the general counsel very much to spill this water. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're complimentary. Yeah, yeah. And yes, and I think just also kind of understanding what are the level, what we'd like to know as an audit committee when you do yours, as you look at the internal controls that we have is what are some audit deficiencies too that might be, you know, um, or, or the level of our own current control systems and reporting uh, deficiencies that we might have and how might we, you know, mitigate that. Let's go to the next slide, and I'll try to kind of speak to that question as we look at the next slide. Um, so this talks about what a financial statement audit is. All right, the first one, the, the for, uh, kind of our first responsibility is to express a, an opinion on the financial statements um, and say are they fairly presented in material respects in accordance with GAAP. Okay? So that's the driver of why we're doing this. It's to present these and say, you know, are these, are these numbers right by uh, a material amount? Are they getting into the right groups? Are there material disclosures? So everything we do supports the, that. Um, so material is what percentage? I mean, when you're looking at a budget of a billion dollars, what becomes material to you? Um, Huh. We'll skip ahead to seven, um, and we'll come back then. So what's materiality? Um, it's a, you can read what's over here, but it's the amount of misstatement that can influence the economic decisions of users on the basis of the whole statements, right? And economic decisions would be, you know, do we, do we build another facility? Do we take out debt? Does someone want to loan you money? Those would be like economic decisions. How do people calculate it? In healthcare, probably the general rule of thumb would be as a percentage of revenues. Um, you wouldn't really use total assets here because you don't own your hospital. You know, if you use total assets, it'd be a, 
extremely small number. So you're a billion dollars a year in revenue. Um, you know, depending on where we're going to think you're going to be income-wise, maybe we use a percentage, maybe we use a percentage and a half. Um, at times and circumstances, people will use as high as 3%. I don't think we'd use 3% here. But, um, you know, what's the, what is the number there? Um, you know, I, I, think, I think most people in the industry would say for a billion dollar hospital, um, you know, 10 to 20 million dollars would be a material error. I see. That, that, that answer really helps me. Thank you. Right. And it's not that we pass on any error lower than that. We're, we're required to deal with any error up to 5% of that. So for management, it kind of made, let's say, just to keep the math easy here, um, let's say that we go with $10 million. You know, that means we, we have to deal with every known error greater than $500,000, which is a pretty low, pretty low level. But once we get to the point of, let's say, in that example, 10 million bucks, you know, then we really say, okay, well, we're not going to sign these unless you fix this. Um, you know, there could be examples. I mean, let's say that there's a construction. Okay, give me an example of a material error we might be okay with. Let's say we find out that there was a construction commitment for $25 million that didn't, didn't get disclosed in the footnotes. We find that out a month after we issued. My guess is, is we'd get together with management. Maybe we'd talk to you guys and say, well, that's probably not material. Um, so it's not necessarily a hard and fast, you know, would, would it have made a difference if someone had known about this purchase contract? Perhaps not, right? But generally speaking, that kind of makes a hard and fast ceiling that you'd like to not see gone over. Um, kind of going back, we consider internal controls, to your question, to the point where it's around financial controls and uh, uh, financial reporting controls and uh, areas like, you know, the biggies we look at are payroll disbursements and revenue. You know, those are the areas where you think you could have a material amount of transactions. Um, we're required to communi communicate our findings to you. Um, those are our responsibilities. Pause there. All right. Okay. Uh, I will take over to discuss our audit process, some of which has already been discussed. We will assess internal controls, uh, including information technology. Uh, we will assess the design and implementation of those internal controls. Um, some of our audit procedures will include analytical procedures where we look at revenues and expenses mostly. Uh, we look at trends, comparisons, and expectations in those account balances to come up with our expect expectations for those. Um, and we do a lot of substantive audit procedures as well. We do, we will confirm account balances, vouch to supporting documentation, obtain represent representations from attorneys and management, um, as well as examining objective evidence provided. So that is what we're going to do in a nutshell. I uh, already talked about materiality. So now we'd like to go over with you the areas that are of significant, uh, er significant audit areas. Um, 
Significant to the health system and all other hospitals, patient accounts receivable and net patient service revenue valuation. So as Ben mentioned, we do focus on the revenue internal controls um, to get comfortable that those are, you know, valid revenue charges. So we will select a sample of charges. Um, Tell me your sample and something like that. Uh, our sample is typically between 18 and 25 from the population, and that... Um, Which is what percentage of, a, of our system? Uh, it's really hard to quantify. Yeah. Uh, just a tiny yeah. bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically that is, is generated based on some other formulas to calculate um, the sample size that will give you um, your desired level of assurance over the um, account balance and if we find errors or uh, mistakes or something's wrong with one of the samples we can then um, you know we will extrapolate that to the rest of the population and pull a larger sample at that point um, if necessary. Who provides a sample? Who provides a sample? Um, Anne and her team accumulate all the data and give it to us to take a look at. So the we look at uh, medical records, uh, the patient bill, uh, cash receipts. Do they give you the whole file and you pick the ones that you're going to pull as a sample or do they give you the sample? The, we pull the sample from the population of gross revenue charges. Okay. So we get uh, you know, a very large file that has all the charges in it, uh, I think for the first nine months of the fiscal year. Um, we ensure that, that that totals out to what you have in the internal financial statements as of that point in time to ensure that that population is complete. We select our sample and then we send it to Anne and her team to provide the supporting documentation, yeah. And this crisscrosses our facilities as well. Um, yes, we select charges from San Leandro and Olympia Hospital as well. Ambulatory as well, so the clinics and things as well, that's also part of that? Uh, they would be included too. Included as yeah, well. I've helped gather that uh, documentation and a, they, they get it all. Okay. Thank you. Well, in addition to those procedures, at year end we performed analytical procedures to um, taking a look at patient volumes um, and any increases in price or other changes that have occurred during the year and we come up with an expectation of what that balance should be. Uh, to test evaluation of patient accounts receivable, we start off by looking at the prior year accounts receivable balance and we assess how much cash has been received on that prior year balance <coughs> to determine whether the estimate um, we can prove out the estimate from the prior year by seeing that the cash has proven out the balance, basically. And then if there's been no changes in management's estimate since the prior year, we do the same thing um, for the first two months of the next fiscal year. So um, for July and August 2018, we look at the cash that has come in in those two months and apply it to the patient accounts receivable balances at June 30, 2018, and see if that percentage is comparable to what it was in the prior year to get comfortable with that balance that will be fully collectible um, as time goes on. 
We also take a look at management's model for estimating the accounts receivable balance and ensure that it is mathematically accurate, agrees out to the GL, and other things like that. Another significant audit area of the receivables and payables with the county. We will send a confirmation to the county uh, for those receivables and payables to make sure that their balances are reflect, reflected on the county's books as well. And again, how many samples are we talking about that you look at? For payables with the county, 100%. We say, uh, for example, there's a $10 million receivable with the county. We send a letter to the county that says, can you please confirm the $10 million and they will know if there's any differences from what they have and send it back, so 100%. About the only thing that we're sampling is when we're testing the operation of controls. The, there could be, if you had enough PP&E additions, maybe we'd sample that. Well, I suppose, even the, I know these are ignorant questions, but... Yeah, these are big questions. Does, um, does a company like yours and a contract that we have with an external auditor, does it specify, like when you do the sampling, because the response you gave for the, the sample seems so tiny to me in the number that we get. So is that because, our, is that usual work that, it, that in your industry that's what it is, or is that based on what our requirements are of you? Um, does that change via the contract that we might purchase with an external auditor, etc.? So the procedures that we do are defined by, in this case, government auditing standards. Um, which are voluminous. Uh, and, and within government auditing standards, then, um, you know, even specifically this one, areas that are hospital specific fall back on the AICPA healthcare audit guide. Things like sampling have been pretty well studied by the AICPA. And, and there are essentially tables that say, um, um, you know, hey, how many. How many of something have you got to test to get a certain level of statistical confidence? And they don't really vary from firm to firm because they've been blessed by the AICPA. And I'm going to imagine that at some point some actuaries figured out these statistical tables. Um, generally speaking, firms using those rules would all, in, you could end up with a different answer because you'd say maybe we want to rely less on controls. Um, but almost never would you end up testing an individual population more than like maybe sampling 36 items. Even if it's a really large population, and, and part of the caveat is, is how many exceptions will you accept? Um, so if you'll accept zero deviations, you're going to have a smaller number. Um, and, you know, there's, I'm going to assume that there's some statistical, uh, well, there is, there's some statistical rigor behind that. Yeah. Um, but it's not it's not a number that we pull out of thin air. It kind of a gets back to AICPA standards. Anybody engaged in pulling one audit under AICPA standards would, in theory, come to similar answers. Um, it, it, th those sorts of things, like you're not laying out audit standards to us in a contract with us, and I it would. Nobody else would do that either. You say you're going to do an audit in accordance with 
government auditing standards and then someone goes and does it. I, I suppose I would, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I suppose I was, I was trying to understand how, uh, how a system that may in fact be struggling with the systems and process and getting, uh, you know, cleaning up things that, that might have been remiss uh, over time. Uh, how you, I mean, we certainly have an internal auditor that helps us significantly move some things forward. But what is the way in which, because while you say you have those standards, it would seem to me that a company, we'll just use a company, who has a high profit margin and their EBITDA margins are 15, 20%, whatever it happens to be, that they might be less concerned about what you're looking at uh, when you talk about material and significant findings versus a system that are, are very interested in trying to clean up their controls and do a better job at, at efficiencies. So how does an external auditor help with that? And maybe you don't, and if you don't, then it might behoove us to really think through as a, as a committee and as a board how we're going to help remediate some of those things that we think might be falling through the cracks. I think that if you're really talking about having an outside firm come in and do process improvement and, and you know, deep, spending weeks going deep into controls, and doing process improvement, um, especially outside of financial reporting, and a lot of the controls we're looking at are not probably the first things that you would have thought were. Um, Let me just talk about financial, not not human. Well, financial reporting isn't the same thing as ending up with more money, right? Yeah, like right, right. Managing yeah. volume. What are we concerned with? That the right payroll number is getting reported. That's financial reporting. Managing your staffing levels—that's really not financial reporting. I, I, I really, we understand. That. Yeah. So when you start talking about making deep dives into things like, are your staffing levels right? That's not really within the scope of what someone generally does in an external audit. I think if I if I uh, sorry to interrupt you, I think what at least um, I'm thinking that um, that we, and I speak for myself, are trying to detect is that through the audit process, will the, will the scale and scope of your audit process be able to detect the material errors or weaknesses or fraud or, you know, can we, do we have confidence that the audit process will be able to honor some of that? And if the time that you have and the bandwidth that you have may give you, may, may, be, may allow you to identify what some risks are, even though they are not material, would you bring that aid to us? And would you use the staff to help you in ways to do more, but how might you use the 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 team that over here to get you to spread yourself greater in the in the time that you have? Um, 
maybe to the first point, I think significant audit areas sort of lays out the areas that we think are most significant in terms of financial reporting, in terms of what you're going to report. These are the areas that we focus on. Um, I'm very confident that we have an audit plan designed to detect material errors. Um, to the second question, how do we use your team? Um, they prepare the information, they get us the information, and we, we then perform procedures over it. That's generally, you know, that, that's, how this, that's how this works. Yeah. And if you're, and so that they're smooth, we are going through a period of transition as well, so you'll be working with new folks and new members as well. So just to make sure that that transition of information and things goes smoothly for you. Um, you know, through the process, if you need to, uh, you know, work with any of us, we will be happy to help. Thank you. Okay. Another significant audit area would be supplemental revenue and receivables and uh, liabilities, as they may be. So to address this risk, we plan on spending uh, about a full week with the reimbursement director to go over in detail with her um, the methodologies behind the estimates for the revenues that are recorded, um, the, you know, the collectability of the receivables, the basis for the liabilities that are, that are on the books uh, from the old programs. Um, so we will be spending a lot of time looking at that data with her uh, a little bit earlier this year due to her maternity leave. We will also um, plan to do the same procedures surrounding the Medicare settlements, the cost report settlements. Uh, we will um, bring in our third party assessment specialist from our consulting group to help get comfortable with those balances. We will also take a look at the liabilities and expenses for the ASERA and other retirement plans. Um, we will take a look at the liabilities generated from the Siegel Actuary Report and ensure that management is booking to those liabilities. We will also take a look at employees that are participating in the ASERA plan and making sure that their payroll information is being accurately transferred over to the county and accumulated. Um, within the report. We will also be focusing this year on the adoption of GASB 75. That would be accounting and financial reporting for post-employment benefits other than pensions. This is similar to what happened at, in June 30, 2015 when all the liabilities were brought on the balance sheet related to the pension. The same thing will be happening related to your other post-employment benefit plan. So that will be something we will make sure that has been accurately reflected. Um, management will, the same process as for the pension plan, taking a look at the actuary report and ensuring that the balances are um, reflected properly there. We'll also be taking a look at the self-insured portion of insured reserves. This is mainly workers' comp, insurance liabilities, as well as medical malpractice. Um, again, we will be taking a look at the actual reports generated for those liabilities, um, testing the 
source documentation that was provided to the actuaries to get comfortable with those balances. And then finally, um, there is federal compliance under uniform guidance that is for the single audits. And those procedures will be, again, overseen by uh, a different partner, Kim and Tom. So I think um, in terms of these are pretty much the same as last time, excepting for that new financial accounting procedure, right? Yes. And so is there anything, um, because your uh, presentation is very, very clear in terms of how you lay out like what you're going to be doing, is there anything you would do differently this time from what you did last time? I think, you know, as management makes us aware of new significant transactions that come up, um, we add them to our audit plan as necessary. It's um, basically what Are you going to audit the electronic health care record as we go forward? We would That's audit. I guess expenditure. We would audit the accumulation of costs as that happens. Um, and then once it, uh, you know, you probably have a disclosure also that'd be required in the current year. You're probably going to have a material purchase commitment. So, you know, some of it's presentation and disclosure. You know, how is, it, is the way it's disclosed reasonable? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top. I don't know if it's going to be uh, how significant it's going to be, but we've already had a lot of discussions with management about, you know, hey, when do you start capitalizing costs? What do you start capitalizing? What do you expense? Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. Uh, we've had a discussion about the reasonable life as it relates to EPIC uh, and what they can anticipate. Um, so that's that's certainly going to be a big item. I don't know that that, just based on dollars, and I don't know that that's other than maybe a, a footnote disclosure about contingency and commitment, if that's going to be a big deal this year. Uh, have to see kind of where June 30 comes in. Yeah, we're expecting the expenses this year to be less than $10 million, uh, and probably closer to $5 million. Uh, the commitment so is bigger in multiple years. Right. One thing we do is we do specific, and I'll steal our thunder from the slide later, so when we get to it, we can zoom past it. Uh, we do do procedures specifically looking for fraud. Um, we change those every year, and we don't tell management in advance what we're going to do. Um, but in other areas, let's say cash, uh, if we're confirming cash, testing the reconciliation works, uh, check, you know, testing the outstanding checklisting, if we know that works, we'll do the same thing again next year. Mm -hmm. It might, because we have such a heavy agenda, perhaps you should hit on those things that you know have changed as opposed to what you did at the presentation you gave last year and to tell us those things that are going to be that are going to be different or that we need to pay attention to specifically for this particular year as opposed to um, I mean your presentation is very very fair I mean we read it because we had it ahead of time we read a great deal of it so it would be really interesting more about what might be different uh, versus just kind of going through this and reminding us um, well, I think that when I when I just kind of look at the three, so we really only have three slides left here to cover. Okay. Um, the timeline is fairly consistent with last year. It is. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
um, the deliverables and the non-attest services are uh, identical to last year. Mm -hmm. um, and our consideration of, of fraud would be similar, except uh, you know we will do some unpredictable fraud procedures that, for obvious reasons, we won't discuss before we do them. Um, so with that, we've, we have really kind of hit the meat of this. Um, you know, the, the things where there get to be big new testing are, do you have a new thing that you have to bring on the books? Okay, that'll be your other post-employment benefit plan. Mm -hmm. Do you have a new supplemental revenue program? Those are the biggies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we... The grant accounting. The grant accounting. Do you have a new grant that kind of falls under one-off transaction? Epic, something that we've definitely talked a lot about with management during planning. Just kind of that highlight those as sort of the big significant new items. Mm -hmm. um, with that, um, we have, th there's, a, there's a bunch of materials here that talk about accounting standards updates. Um, I don't think anything that's going to, you, you, you've got that, nothing that's going to change your life immediately here. Uh, maybe I'll just pause for any questions that you have of us. How many years have you done uh, the systems audits? This will, we have done it for two years. This is the third. This would be the third year. And um, uh, they also do it for the Alameda System, Health System Foundation and AHP. Uh, so all of these three entities. Right. Makes sense. Does AHP pay their uh, auditing bill themselves, like the Alameda Health System Foundation? Uh, here, yes. Okay. Thank you. Any questions? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You do a nice job with your presentation. Yes. Thank you. Let's, let's get into the accounts payable audit. Okay, we're coming down the home stretch. So uh, the first audit that I have is the accounts payable audit, and uh, I think everybody read it. Some of the comments that I've heard. So we time reading. Yeah, it's glad I had a ground floor apartment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But can I ask you, because this time though your risk assessment plan was so much more comprehensive and you went to every business unit and we, you did all of that, was, um, and is that helping in, in terms of, I, this is shocking. Uh, I mean, I'm still, my, I can't wrap my head around. I guess it helps so me control. I, I selected it as a high-risk area, and mm -hmm. I found problems. Uh, so did you jump? I mean, did you open a vein? Well, so you'll recall that part of the way that Rick sets up his plan is by doing an assessment and interview of, uh, of leaders in the organization to identify these areas. So his identification wasn't some sort of arbitrary mm -hmm. thing. It was us saying, including me, I have some concerns about it. There were, there were a couple of signs of you know me getting authorization to approve things after the fact mm -hmm. uh, uh, that were smaller in nature but suggestive of something 
structurally or fundamentally wrong with uh, our overall AP process. The extent to which uh, there was a uh, problem was was not really clear, and that's the purpose of having Rick and his team do, do the work that they do. Uh, and so uh, it is, in fact, the case, though, that I mean, this, this data figure is huge. It's largely connected to one particular contract, uh, one of which had been brought to my attention just before they uh, uh, completed their audit. Um, I forget how it came up, but they brought it to my attention. And as, as we can share with you in greater detail, uh, that the nexus of how that occurred related to the subsuming and combining of existing contracts when Alameda and San Leandro came into the system without sort of the proper processes happening uh, was how it all kind of got triggered. And then there was no process by which it came up again until such time that we actually think the way it came up was for a number of years actually now under that particular contract, we've been talking about rescoping and rebidding the contract and just thinking through how that might occur. And when we got to the point of kind of looking at all the details here, it became apparent that uh, the, the contract now, I think, was beyond its uh, uh, life and had effectively been evergreen, uh, in that the expenditures were so significant because when the other two sites and their services came on board, those services weren't they weren't properly brought to the board to say, here's the action that we're taking. And then, in fact, the individual reviewing it was and, and authorizing it was a little bit bizarre, but it was in a period of, of leadership transition for the organization, so all we can assume is that there wasn't a CEO on board. Uh, uh, this person was really acting in that capacity, and, and that kind of uh, uh, created the circumstance uh, where these things got involved. So, so I, I, I wasn't surprised that the issue existed. I was aware there was an issue. Uh, the, the significance of it related to this one contract, I was surprised the first time I heard about it. By the time Rick's report came, I knew it could be uh, a, a uh, vulnerability uh, for us. And, and at that point, you know, it's just that this is why we have an internal auditor. This is, we discovered these things, and now we have to fix them. So. Well, Rick, is it, uh, I wasn't clear when you, when you wrote this up that the one, the 1.1 million on one contract and the, one, the 15 million on 53 expired contracts and the 14 million over the remnant that Delbecker just spoke about. The 14 is included in that. In the, that's in the 15. That's the question that I was asking. Yes. yes. So the 15 is sort of a combination of the 1.1 1 .1 and the and the, four, and the 14. I think yeah. is that right? Yeah. Yes. And, and of the 53 contracts that expired. Were any of those board approved or were they all within within the preview of the, the limitation for management to uh, to higher contracts? I believe those were not board contracts. They were uh, lesser dollar amounts and uh, they were small overages for the most part. It's just that uh, the reliance at that time was on the business owner to approve contract or approve invoices and they were supposed to be checking to make sure that uh, it was within the contract limits and that checking wasn't going on. But was this spread across a number of business owners or is this into one area that what management needs to have the walk in the woods with? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was spread over a number of business owners. I mean, 53 contracts. So it's a systems thing as opposed to an individual yes. uh, management. Uh, so 
because we were having problems getting payments out on a timely basis and invoices were going back and forth between uh, the business owners and accounts payable, uh, a decision was made by finance management to uh, stop uh, the bleeding, get the payments processed, and rely on the business owner. So they kind of relaxed the rules, and we uh, suffered for it a little bit. So we're... I'd say, I, I think I'm, I'm glad you said that, because it, it sort of points out that this, this situation, which occurred during a period of you know, leadership transition uh, from CEO and others, a report discovering some... Uh, uh, problematic uh, opportunities for the organization and, 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 and a overwhelming pressure externally about uh, delays in vendor payments resulted in a process where those things were expedited or uh, let's say um, um, uh, not as the, the complexity of the processes were reduced to address uh, that issue. Uh, now, I think it's, it's fair to question whether or not the, the the expectation of business owners now owning those contracts, not just as a one-off and in a process of actually fixing the payments going out now, but now perpetually the expectation is that you're looking at your contracts and you're making sure when you approve an invoice that your contract hasn't expired. Um, that, that clearly is an area that I think didn't get um, figured out or didn't get hardwired across the entirety of the organization. So the upside was, OP in terms of age payments is way down and, and vendors are getting paid and you're not getting uh, those sorts of complaints and that seems to have continued as a success of that effort dating back to you know, early or mid-2015, FR 15-16. But the, the material effect is now that many of those contracts are now expiring and coming due. The, the rigor of keeping them updated and making sure that you know invoices that are appropriately vetted to say this is an approved uh, uh, activity and that it is service or uh, uh, supplies that we did actually receive, that part of the check was correct, whether or not now they were checking to say, and now I have a valid contract, and I think that part clearly wasn't uh, as hardwired as it, it needs to be. And again, the, the, the biggest piece of this occurring in uh, uh, what looks appears to be two contracts out of those 50 plus contracts, in terms of the, uh, the size of the dollar figure. So is that still in place, like AP is not linking anything to the lawsuit system? Now? I mean, was that because um, it's the business unit that does that, but for AP to take its feet off, so is that is practice now? Yeah, so, so just to clarify more, and Rick, uh, uh, please help me. Uh, it's not that there isn't a reconciliation of things. It's the, the one piece that he's pointing out here is that the, the, the contract under which some activities or services are provided mm -hmm. uh, have, have not been appropriately renewed. And so, while again, these services are provided, the, or the materials are received, there is a reconciliation of that, and AP's going to the business manager to say, here's the invoice, did you actually receive this? Is it accurate in terms of its price? Um, um, you know, did, is this all right? And the person says yes, and they send it back to AP and said, I approve it, pay it. What's coming up is that there used to be a process to say, and now I have an existing either contract. PO yeah. or a contract, okay. and that part was relaxed. And so it's not, you know, there was nothing, at least as I understood from the reporting, uh, nothing uh, 
overly concerned about the uh, veracity of the uh, the services or the, or the uh, invoice. It was just the procedural piece, which is still important, uh, that a contract in place or a contract that's not expired is uh, appropriately in place and, and uh, validated before um, before these uh, payments are, are made. So, and that includes the process of actually making sure those contracts are renewed themselves. So, so it is a bit of, it's, it's not a quick fix in the sense of saying, uh, you know, I can flip the script tomorrow and say all of a sudden every expired contract, I can say that, but the process by which to get it done takes a little time to hardwire and make sure people understand what their role is. And it begs the question whether this is the right way to go going forward or if we overcorrect it in terms of our zeal to make sure that we fix the AP, should we go back and look at whether or not POs, even if we have a contract, uh, if POs should be in place and then have AP have something that shows that there is a purchase uh, authority and, and offers an authorized amount mm -hmm. in this time period for this service. So we have a kind of a double check. I suppose you said something that kind of made me um, you said that because of some of the pressures to get some of these things paid, they circumvented. They circumvented. They shortcutted and circumvented. This is me speculating because a lot of I mean, a, 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 you know, the bulk of this happened before I got here in terms of the the, the I don't want to say the direction and the uh, conditions that set this up. So so it was when you know a lot of turmoil about the finances of the organization. Fact that vendors weren't getting paid on time. I think that was the time period under which this occurred. So I'm only speculating because I wasn't here. What then drove some of the uh, changes to the um, the procedures that we had in place that then led to a favorable result in, in one way, but then led to this vulnerability in another way. So we actually had vendors that stopped doing business with us because they didn't get paid, okay. or, or at least on a timely basis. Mm -hmm. So we caught up on payments and. We relaxed the process a little bit to make sure that we got paid, or we paid the vendors because we had this paperwork going back and forth, and nothing was going out the door because you were jumping. You know, I, I really understand that, and I was one of those individuals because we got we got calls from supervisors because there were local vendors who were not getting paid and and so the board made up a lot of comments about those kinds of things and i suppose when i hear that and it's not under your leadership so i, I understand that but I, I would be i would i am accountable even if it was yes that, that you are but, <laughs> It's very disconcerting when a board wants to have uh, explain that these things need to be, be taken care of, and the way they um, taken care. Yeah, hush up the board, and that's not that's a kind of a strong thing. The way is that they go around the circumstance and they do something, and I find that very. It does give me a lot of trust in the organization. So you start wondering, God, should I say anything because everything is so delicate that you don't want to to worry about people going around the system. And so when we get on you, God, do you understand what I'm saying? I so I want to I want to try to lay your worry uh, to say that you shouldn't be. You should always, that in my opinion, obviously, you should always hold us accountable for doing things to fix things. Uh, nothing happens out in a vacuum. So there are times when. 
anything you do, just like you know, medi medication comes with side effects, there's anything you do might trigger something that in the moment never happens, right? you don't see it, but then down the road, you don't forecast or anticipate that this could happen. And, and, and so, so that's one thing. The other thing is, the, the really, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding of the big piece of this, which is really uh, the, the, um, the uh, uh, Morrison's the Morrison's contract was really not connected even to this piece of it. It was really an artifact of bringing the entirety of the services across three different sites together, basically expanding that business to them under a contract. That piece should have come to the board to say, here's what we have done, and yeah. it would have been a perfectly legitimate activity yes, and action yes, yes. to take but place and you would have signed it off. There were 53, con 53 contracts yeah. that have expired. That, that for me is the bigger issue. I understand mm -hmm. oh, no, I get that. I get that. 53 contracts is the issue for me. So, so let me say to you that that also is the issue for me, and so these also where I said, uh, you know, we, we have had a lot of back and forth that a lot of times uh, invoices would come to me uh, for my sign-off, and I'd look at a certain thing or two and say, why is this different than what I see here, or why is it that I'm getting a, a request to renew a contract that expired in uh, January and March. Right. Uh, why is that happening? Oh, well, we continue the services with the vendor. What do you mean you continue the services with the vendor? You should have uh, extended <laughs> Part of that is now, I mean, there's just so many changes that occur, right? So you got contracting has changed, and you got contracting processes have changed. You got a lot of contracts, and we are still trying to look at this piece of, you know, how do you deal with contracts and make sure that you have a robust enough site, uh, um, staff to deal with them in a timely basis? Uh, none of this, uh, I should say, there was nothing about any of this that struck me as, as this is this is really bad and shouldn't have happened in the sense that these weren't services that we needed as an organization. It was lax processes to say you need to actually do the work. You need to understand that it's not okay to just let a contract expire yes. and then retrospectively come back and say, well, can you just renew it? Because okay. that, that creates a level of accountability, uh, a lack of accountability that can lead to some really big issues. And to me, this has nothing to do with the board asking the, the health system to pay its payables. Um, this just had, it just so happens the symptom was we had a really insufficiently constructed department yes. to do this. Correct. I'm in a regulated, and there's not a week that goes by that a lender doesn't come to me and says, I want to disperse money off a line that hasn't been approved yet. Correct. And we have systems in place that even the chairman of the bank cannot order a disbursement off a line without a document being approved and signed. Right. Because guess what? It's happened sometimes that someone disperses on an unmatured or not approved line, and guess what? It's not a happy day for anyone. So. Yeah, and it, it is, there's not a cause and effect between you know, to go to your point, Trustee Lawrence, you know, the board, you know, observing something which they should observe. Because, you know, the problem here wasn't that observation. The problem was, you know, the failure to actually come up with the appropriate response to deal with that particular issue. And because, you know, the issue, um, at least in my mind, and, and I say that now, you know, because I'm, you know, responsible for this, is, you know, was not, you know, necessarily so much, you know, you know, it was a failure to understand and look at the process and figure out how the process works and assign the responsibility in the right places. And there were ways to avoid a lot of those things, and particularly, you know, the, you know, the payment issue that didn't necessarily involve, you know, bringing on more people or doing, you know, more things or jettisoning procedures, but it was a lot easier just to go ahead and get them paid, you know, as far as it goes. So I think that's one of the lessons learned out of this as well, too, is, you know, you know really, you know, the rigor of 
actually looking at the issue that's raised and figuring out why the problem is there as opposed to just coming up with a solution that addresses the problem without necessarily understanding what the actual root cause is. So. Well, and the upside is that we found it. If you're going to get the, the pieces in place, um, and I appreciate the fact that you want it. And we have good people now who I think are are looking at this in a, in a way. I mean, I know you've had some changes in soil. So we try to, uh, uh, in, in order to kind of appreciate uh, and, and demonstrate to you our appreciation of the, this, the gravity of this, even in, outside of the context of kind of, you know, that we don't think any of it, Rick didn't uh, um, find in his audit anything that was uh, evidence of fraud. It was just poor controls and practices. Uh, but, but that notwithstanding is important for us. And so uh, I pushed hard on the team to say, you know, some of the, the initial responses were, we'll get this done in six months. Uh, it's going to take us time to set up a process, uh, get people educated on it, uh, uh, hard you know, clean up some stuff and then hardwire it. And my point was, that's well and fine, but I need an interim plan. I need something that's going to show me in the next 60 days uh, what are we going to do uh, to, to stem the tide here. So you have um, uh, before you our, our attempt to do both a short-term and a long-term uh, correction for this so that we are looking at the underlying issues and not just trying to throw a band-aid at what we now see as a, a, a different problem. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Sure. Yeah, two thoughts. I, I think it is... Um, incredibly important for this organization to be able to have this conversation because stuff like this happens. Mm -hmm. Stuff happens in life, as they said. I think the other piece is, um, I guess the only question in my mind is about what happens next. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I assume when I read this that somehow Rick would retest the question later. But I want to check that assumption out. What happens in six months from now, once you've done interim and more permits. So he has a tracking program which basically explained it. So I will continue to follow up on these activities to make sure that uh, things have happened. And it may not be exactly as described here. We've done, uh, developed a number of short-term and longer-term uh, resolutions to these issues. But I think it's more of a ongoing improvement process because right. uh, you could say I'm going to put in a PO for every uh, potential purchase and AP is going to get bogged down and we're not going to have payments going out. You're going to get calls from vendors uh, and then you're going to be coming and fussing at us again. Uh, or we Which we welcome. Release it back to you. We're issuing payments yeah. uh, left and right, and, and they may not comply with the contract terms. So we've got to get a happy medium there. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's some degree of art. Um, it's not just science, right? Is that another way to say it? I'm trying to find a way yes. to... It, You're looking for stickiness, <laughs> right? You want it to stick. You yes. want a permanent yes. solution, and you want it to stick. And, and part of it is educating the business owners, right? Uh, so that's when you have a contract, <laughs> when you have a contract in place and it's about to expire, you get a notice at 120 days, and that. at 90 yeah. days, and at 60 days, and at 30 days, and at seven days, and. Are those systems generated? Yes. 
Right, so that's helpful. And, and a lot of people, uh, I've, I've been there myself when a contract was expiring, I get those notices, I'm like, I don't have time to deal with that right now. Uh, so there are currently all kinds of flags and things that are in place for the business owners to see for 120 days, and, and days. What we have to educate them on is you have to take action on that. You see if that. you're not going to renew the contract, you have to notify the contract department. I'm not renewing that one. Make those cultural change. But actually, you know, there's another issue there, okay? Because in some respects, people, particularly those who are going to do another, or, excuse me, continue the contract or renew it, you know, some of them, yes, are ignoring it, you know, and basically, you know, because they're just ignoring it or they don't understand, you know, the implications of it. But, you know, one other thing is that this is a system of a process that wasn't very user-friendly and didn't work very well. And, you know, the idea that, you know, I submit a form and then six months later someone gets back to me with what I need, again, you know, if, if that's, and so it's a question of not simply the fact that we have this automated system and no one's responding to it, it's, okay, why aren't they responding to it? And what is it about the process that causes them to respond to it that you can change to make it, you know, better? So, for example, you know, when looking, you know, at the contracting process, you know, it you know, basically had a function, you know, where you submit a form. Well, if that form is not filled out completely or correctly, it never gets to step two. And so at the very outset of the process, you have, you know, this back and forth between somebody who has a day job and this thing, which, you know, has a varying level of importance to them as far as it goes, going back and forth over information that's needed to get this thing to step two. And, you know, the question, you know, really is, okay, why is that? And, you know, the principle that, you know, we you know, sort of looking at is, you know, taking advantage of these pieces of the system as they are. And, you know, you know, you know from my perspective, you know, the height of a business owner's interest in a contract is at the point when they push the button sending off the CRF, mm -hmm. even if it's a you know, poorly filled out CRF. But at that point, they're as, as engaged in the process as they ever will be. And from the contracting, for example, they should take advantage of that. And if it's not filled out completely, because it's not like you send in a completed CRF and then a contract comes back and nothing else happens. You send in a completed CRF, then you get a draft of the contract and there's back and forth and negotiation. So, you know, you know the, the idea is, can you get that information later on during the process, but keep the process moving so people maintain some level of engagement? So, you know, again, you know, it's, you know, the you know, we the leadership academy, you know, I you know, you know, go in there and do a presentation on the contracting part and that's what everyone says. You know, it's not you know, we want to do this, but it's just it takes too long, you know, you know all those sorts of things. Right. And so but, that's what we want. You know, the two people involved here. There's the person who's executing the contract and the person who's paying a bill without authority to do that, without a contract that says you should pay it. So while somebody doesn't renew a contract, there's still somebody who is paying a vendor without a contract. So there are two things that are happening here. So it's not just the contract approval process, however difficult that is. At some point in the system, that manager, when the, when the contractor calls and says, hey, buddy, where's my money? Because the, the payable lady has said, I'm not paying this bill. 
because I don't have a contract that's, that your contract has expired. There are two things here. There isn't just the contract business guy. No, and well, and part of the problem is that we didn't even have anyone on the back end saying, I won't pay that because I don't have a contract. You know, I mean, that was the same person who may not have renewed the contract, the same person who validates the contract. See, and that is so, so we, so the, so the, so the, so the focus has really much been on understanding all pieces of the process and figuring, and really, as much as anything, assigning the responsibility to the correct place. Because, you know, for example, with the, the purchase order, the purchase order is a great way to keep track and, and actually monitor authority. You know, there's probably no better process to do that because it's basically you got a PO and you can't pay it if it's above the PO. Yeah, but you know, but, you know if you complete the contract, again, what the process was is you know, okay, here's your contract, and then you need to you know get a PO. And the question is, okay, why are, why should they do that? Who's in a better position to get that PO initiated to ensure that it actually does get initiated? As opposed to sending this thing off, and then you find out you don't have a PO, and the and the response is, well, I told them to get it, and so that's the that's the analysis, the sort of analysis we're trying to do now to make sure that we like get this thing fine-tuned such that some people will do more to do less later on. Because if someone takes a few more minutes to do a PO here, then that means that there's going to be fewer you know, problems or issues you know, coming on here. If someone moves that CRF along, even though it's not complete, all the time that was spent waiting on information now, will perhaps reduce it you know, on, the, on the back end. And well, I'm, I'm fairly confident that, you know, certainly by, um, you know, as indicated in the report, certainly by you know, the end of the calendar year, you know, all of these things will have started gelling together to make sure that the entire system works. You know, for right now, you know, basically, you know, I'm reviewing, you know, personally all of the requests where the contract has expired. I'm t taking them out into the woods, um, you know, as you would, you know, uh, like to say, Michelle. For a walk. No, no, I'm thinking that. There's a fact of matter. But no, to impress upon, you know, and, and I ask them hard questions. I just, did you get the messages? You know, why didn't you respond to them? And, you know, and it's also informing, you know, my thoughts as to how we'll redesign the system as well, too. That's part of why I wanted to, you know, have the individual, you know, thing. So, um, and from my perspective, as you, you know, it's, I'm more concerned about the twenty-five, dollars $50,000 contracts than I am about the Morrison's contract or the Medline contract because, yeah. you know, it's generally speaking, you know, those are almost too big to fail in some respects. But, you know, my concern is, is that, you know, the, the, the 50, 25, you know, $1,000 obligation, that's the place where it's difficult to actually monitor mm -hmm. and control. Yeah. And that's, that's where we need to have a process which is more focused on collecting that and not losing it as much as anything else. Is six months, I mean, seems a lot, a, quite a long time to do it, and I don't understand because it's it's your it's organization, but I would think that, could it be, I mean, that the, it's does, the doing best practices in just having two checks and balances, a, a different layer? Can it's, it's because it, it's, we it, just, that Rich report points out a lot of different areas, and they all kind of interplay with one another, and it is, it involves accounts payable, it involves the business units, which is across the entire organization, it involves contracting. 
some cases uh, uh, can involve legal as well. So it involves multiple entities and multiple sort of discrete processes that all uh, uh, come into one one continuous loop. And so, uh, as you said, six months is uh, you see the deadline for many of the kind of things to be finally resolved, but you also see August as the time frame for some interim processes to be put in place so that we're not going to have six months of continuous uh, similar level of, 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 um, of exposure or risk here. We're doing some stuff now to shore that up, but recognizing that trying to do a bunch of different things in so many different areas at one time might actually lead to just some of something else. Not to say that anything wouldn't, but we're trying to reduce the likelihood that that would that that would occur. I, I think the short-term solutions help with the problem and help us work towards that final solution so that we're not making a knee-jerk reaction right. and shutting the pipeline down. What might be a short-term solution? I'm trying to understand the difference between short-term and long-term. Well, the short-term solution is that if you get that uh, invoice for an expired contract, it goes to Mike for review. Uh, he takes them out to the woodshed. Uh, we start working that issue with, of educating management right then so it doesn't happen again. Uh, there's several there's processes. Because we had a contract come to finance that was overdue by a considerable amount. So we still have problems, right? No, this happened before that. Okay. No, that happened before this, I should say. Yeah. That, that would be Medline. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we've also developed, you know, um, you know, a report of expiring contracts, which you know we circulate on a regular basis, and will you know be brought to the executive level. And so now, again, we won't rely simply upon a business owner who may, uh, you know, now the executive in charge of that business owner will understand that one of their subordinates has a contract which is about to become due. So it adds an additional set of eyes into the process of making sure that those messages aren't. Uh, you know, ignored as far as it goes, and the you know again the things that we've you know laid out there do happen you know you know between now and I think you know largely you know before your next meeting are things that are designed to ensure that we have um, not allowed the problem itself to continue. You know, because we'll have all the correct business owners identified. Uh, and assigned in the tract in the you know the database, we'll have a uh, an accounting fix to identify the maximum spend for each obligation. So there's not going to be any more overspending uh, as far as it goes. But you know the question of revising the contracting policy to you know when is a contract needed, when is a contract not needed. I mean you know quick example you know. <coughs> We require a contract, you know, for um, anything over ten thousand dollars, which means if I hire a law firm, I have to, you know, have a contract with them. Well, that's silly. You know, a law firm cannot provide services to me without an engagement letter, which is a contract. You know, yet we have this layered on contract. So we're looking at all of the contracts to determine when a contract is needed, when's not, which will again reduce the amount of work for the contracting department. You know, which will help to again streamline the process. That piece of it's going to take a little bit longer in terms of making those policy and implementing those policy changes. That's the stuff that's going to take us to the end of the year. Um, but that stuff is not right now creating this problem. The thing that's created the problem, we're dealing with those things immediately. Okay. So, one of the other short-term solutions would be uh, 
to go through the contract database and make sure that the owners are uh, still employed here and uh, they're the right people. And because what happens is that somebody develops a contract, they move to a different job or they leave the company, mm -hmm. nobody notifies contracting. So all those notices don't go anywhere because uh, the person's paying, not there. Somebody's paying the bill. So well, it's yeah. Not, so it's, it's not the fact that the contract has expired, which is, which is a concern. But somebody is paying the vendor. Right, but the yes. person who, so, so in this case, so, so an example that we're citing, so, so I just got hired as the manager of a business unit, and the prior person's listed in the contract database as the person who gets the notifications. I come in, the contract is in place, I get a notification that, you know, there's somebody here, they're a contractor, they're doing some work for me, I get an invoice that says, was Sally here doing X, Y, and Z, and I go, yeah, she was, I, you know, I talked to her, I, I signed her work, hey, okay, cool sign the invoice and pay her bill. And then they, I get another one six months later. Oh, yeah, she's still here. She's still doing it. Yes. But the contract expired two months ago. Right. I didn't get a notice that the contract was expired because the database isn't sending me the update saying renew her contract. So that's the case. Like, we have to figure out a process to make sure that a part of our but onboarding and offboarding is as individuals who leave work. Not everybody yeah. leaves on the organization. Yeah, but that should have been a person goes to somebody who cuts a check. Correct. Doesn't that person who cuts the check look to see whether or not that contract no. is no. They remove that. Maybe that might be something because that historically that's what they did. The expectation then was moving to the person who authorizes the, the invoice to say you're responsible for making sure that they have a Again, that was the elimination of the purchase order request that took out that. Because again, if you have a purchase order, then checking a purchase order and the amount remaining on a purchase order is a lot different than checking to see if there's a contract in place, if that contract is still there. So again, all of these things are being looked at in terms of, finding, okay, what's the right mix of we don't disagree completely. We just it, we think that the solutions are 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 there. Okay. They're more than just that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm yes. sorry. No, no, completely no, justified. So, any other questions about accounts payable? <laughs> We're working in. How much time you got? I'm, I'm really PO'd, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it all? Was it uh, all? He's saving that one. Yeah, he's saving that one. He was afraid he wouldn't be able to use it. <laughs> okay, so we use that at the gate. Living on love, have a hippo walk to assess. Hippo walk through was good. I think it, yeah. it was good to see that June, June 30th, June 30th, June 30th, a lot of the things that need to be completed are going to be done by this month. So that's which haven't been done, which was good. They learned from the last one. It was basically the same people responding. No, some, some are so, not there. I could walk through this. Uh, I don't think over there. I just say your reports are so clear. The photographs of the HIPAA report—that's a brilliant idea. 
And I can't imagine what that. Try to understand. What's that? He always does that. Oh, it's just, I, 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 did you see I, how, I, how somebody in the staff posed with? Yeah, here's a HIPAA violation. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that, but you can barely make out the person. <laughs> so, using the, you know, um, good practice, best practice uh, tag tool is really nice. great to see. So I didn't that. see anything uh, really different than the first uh, HIPAA walkthrough. This was uh, a whole new set of, of clinics because this was the Highland Specialty Clinics uh, before we had done the freestanding clinics. Uh, so it's, it's kind of the same thing. We looked at that as, as our best practices. We want the whole organization to comply with that. And uh, we will be continuing to do these until we've covered the whole uh, system. Uh, so you will be uh, seeing more of these reports in the future. And then, Rick, you go, there's a cycle to this, then you'll go back to verify. Yes. So once we, we get through everything, We'll start over again. Got it. Uh, well, Rick, did the privacy screens get, or the computers mm -hmm. did get, get in place that. at other places? Because this, at Newark and this, this, uh, is, this so is I mean, not new. I mean, you had pictures of the privacy screens last year. So uh, a lot of those have been done. Uh, I haven't followed up on that. I, I was trying to work responses. Uh, before this meeting, and uh, they were delayed. Uh, so I'm I'm trying to follow up on those to see that all the corrective action has been done, because uh, some of those were March dates, and that's in the uh, uh, follow-up status report. Mm -hmm. uh, so I continue to monitor those to make sure we get everything resolved uh, and move on throughout the organization and my status report for outstanding items will get longer and longer. As, as you see, there was a whole bunch of different areas in this, and, and I really have to keep them separate uh, to make sure that I can follow up adequately and management can respond adequately. And unfortunately, when I say a door is open, I have to be very specific about which door was open, uh, where do you need a sign, uh, all that kind of stuff uh, to make sure that Otherwise, they're wandering around their organization trying to figure out uh, which wall might deserve a sign. And right. We get it in the wrong place. Okay. So, are there any questions about the walkthrough? No. Walkthrough will focus to Craig. So, this is a the next item on the agenda is for action, right? It's your um, F fiscal year 19 plan. I move. Second. Alan Ferdy? Aye. Aye. Any discussion? I think so. Of course, I don't know if this is the right place or not, but I, I probably saw somewhere, maybe it was in the finance reports, uh, I gathered, maybe incorrectly, that, uh, that maybe your group was not uh, financed to the adequate level it needs to be financed. So I, I just want to ask, uh, do, do you feel like you have enough of a team to get uh, the amount of work you have on your work plan done? Uh, I have enough team to get the work on my plan done. If I had more people, I would have a bigger plan. Got it. So is that 
politically. No, that's a good, that's a good answer. answer. How much bigger would your work plan be if you had more people? Uh, I would probably cover. <laughs> I would be looking uh, we have more auditors and more audits per person. Yeah. But, but so, why, why did you choose these things? What was your rationale? Uh, so I was really looking for things that would have a good payback and that weren't covered by something else. Okay. Uh, so if you go to page 85, uh, I have my risk assessment with the top 30 items that were on there, which that, that was all the high risk areas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went through and I said, okay, is this something I can audit? And is it not covered by something else? So uh, like ambulatory clinics, lack of coordination between clinics. Uh, that could be an area I would look at, but I would think that that's more of a lean initiative, not an audit initiative, mm -hmm. uh, the population health capitation contract, that's, I think it's a high risk area, but it's really small at this point. So it's probably something I want to wait until it has some experience and then go in and look at it. Uh, the other ones, I think I can do something immediately. I can get some positive results. And so I covered as many of those things as I could uh, with the staffing that's available. Good thinking. Really makes sense. Yes. Makes Have you started reporting to the CEO yet? And liaising with him on the. Do, do we have one of those? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, we didn't we remember. It's only a. It's the form, well, we have the interim reporting structure. We've been doing that since January. The formalized uh, action happens after you approve the new. Charter, which got delayed because now you haven't had our committee who's going to look to at some to do a compendium. But once that's approved by the board, it becomes a compendium. So it's scheduled for September, is that correct? Yeah, it's coming yeah. to us in September. Yeah. So we have some people work on that compendium that we were going to do. Aren't you in charge of that committee? Me? No. She's spending a month reviewing the yeah. chapter. I was? Yeah, you're chair of the committee. Well, you better get somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you did this after you attended the resignation. Oh, no, no, no. So, actually, I, I do. Yeah, that's an audit. I have uh, one on ones with Del Vecchio, and I also have one on ones with Mike. And if we change the reporting structure now, that complicates the annual review process because that would be uh, the work I did under Mike. Uh, so we're trying to transition that as a which April, September is, is when that review is uh, scheduled. So we've been yelling at Del Beckham, we should be yelling at Mike. Is that what you're saying? Right. That's a general Yeah. I'm sure he passes it on. The accounts payable issue happens since Mike's in charge of contracts, right? Yeah. Well, that was as of what, February? When did we do the contracts? Actions. March. Beginning of March? Yeah. Oh. Well, that, that's when it was offered. I haven't actually. <laughs> 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 you got to be careful. Those are <laughs> 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 
Yeah. Okay. So are there any other questions about the annual plan? No. Okay. You, 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 you will do, um, it's three years coming up and again a self-assessment, compliance self-assessment. Is that on the really and, on the plan? That's a big one. It yes. is a recommendation from the, the CRG assessment. However, is that realistic? Uh, I'm actually thinking of, of changing that already now. That yeah. <laughs> With the other uh, things on your plate, the self-assessment can. Since, since I've only done 19 of the 36 recommendations that are contained in that report, I'm, I'm afraid the assessment may not be uh, as good as it could be because it'll just repeat those findings and uh, yesterday I had another issue brought to my attention that uh, I have been asked to audit uh, which is Can you slip do? Uh, so uh, I, I have to get more information on that and would come back to the committee but yeah, this uh, can wait. one of these uh, will be on the, on the plan mm -hmm. thank you okay okay so the next item is the 2018 plan. We've got a vote on the action plan for 2019. We have a person, a section. Oh, you haven't called a vote. Oh, I see. Well, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. So approved. Okay. Yeah. Got a Oh, no, it was just, I think it went out of order. I think you did it, and then you said discussion, and so there was discussion after that. Okay. Oh, I did call the yeah, vote. Yeah, we ended up. Yeah, yeah, we never said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we never yeah, 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 yeah. So I launched straight into. Okay. okay. So status of our FY18. Okay, so on 2018 plan, I'm still late. That bothers me, but I'm working on it. I'm running fast. Are you going to complete it by year end? Yes. At least, at least that's my plan at the current time. I've, I've got, actually got a lot of uh, audits that are winding down right now. Uh, we may not have a formal report in time for, well, no, the next meeting is September. We should have reports on everything completed. Uh, so going down the list, I've, I've got two projects that are just stalled. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't, I can't get uh, detail on Ingenious Med in order to finish the reconciliation between Ingenious Med and uh, Solium Financials to make sure that all the charges interface. And the longer that takes, uh, the less meaningful it is because the business on Ingenious Med is shrinking so much that there may not be a lot of uh, items that would be able to be uh, billed and, and recovered at that point. Uh, and the other one is the hospital presumptive eligibility, which I'm waiting on Medi-Cal to tell me how we're authorized to do that. Uh, but until they uh, give me feedback, I've, I've called several times, I've written several times. Uh, when I called, they told me to put it in writing, I put it in writing, they're not responding. So I really can't do the audit until I get the information from them. And the ingenious is an internal thing that you just need to get get people to respond. Uh, it's, it's working IT requests to get the data, and they have been unable to provide 
meaningful reports. Uh, uh, so Rick, far. On, the, on the things you can get done, is did you were you able to give some kind of uh, assessment on the, the exposure, the, the dollar amount exposure? Is it huge? I mean, is it something that we can say, okay, that's a loss, and let's let's not spend so much time because there are bigger issues here? Uh, were you able to? I mean, when you talk about the presumption, the hospital presumptive eligibility, what what's the implication? The implication there is that we're providing. So we are authorized to give Medi-Cal coverage for two months to patients that we think are in financial need. Uh, you know, uh, less than two hundred percent of. Uh, federal poverty levels and the hospital is licensed to do that uh, and we're doing that at the freestanding which is not on the hospital license so potentially anything that any patient where we've given hospital presumptive eligibility or medical coverage through this program uh, would have not have been eligible and we could end up having to pay money back to the government. But if you, if you have documented that you have made the attempt to to hear from them and get some, wouldn't that give us some coverage? Probably not. Yeah. Okay. When it comes to the government, it, okay. it doesn't matter. Okay. It's like negotiating with terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For the record. Okay. So. Uh, central supplies, registration, uh, physician compensation, uh, all of those things are winding down. Uh, I've got draft reports out on uh, the drug wastage and, and the non-monetary comp that should be finalized shortly. Uh, I really expect all these things to be put to bed in the next uh, couple of weeks and move on to next year's plan. Thank you, and you also managed to do a good compliance learning module. So that is um, that was a added bonus for the. For it's been, been very time consuming, uh, but it's worthwhile because it gives me that face-to-face -face training with all management. Eventually, I mean, there'll be 280, 300 people. Uh, by the time it's done, that's and and then we might be starting it over again at that point. Right. Yeah, that's so. really good. Okay. okay. Uh, so the rest of these things are written reports, uh, follow-up items. Uh, I've got some updates on some items. The penetration testing—that's good to see. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's been some work on penetration testing to. Mm -hmm to try to move that to a different platform while we're waiting on this new uh, program to be developed. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get uh, additional information. When are they going to be able to do that? You know, hopefully long before uh, December of 2018. I was hoping it was going to be done now, but uh, something should happen because, uh, you know, you don't know if this replacement system is going to be ready by then, so let's clean up as much as we can. Agreed. 
Any questions about any of the others? The dashboard report. One of the things just on that dashboard, uh, page three of the dashboard, which is page 112 of the packet, uh, I did do a, a summary of the different types of initiatives mm -hmm. that we've been working on mm -hmm. just to give you a flavor uh, since it was asked at several meetings. And there's a lot of stuff out there, uh, that, you know, various activities that we get involved in, a lot of billing issues, a lot of HR issues. And of course, HR we do a small piece of and then pass it off and, and let them deal with the mm -hmm. unions and with management and, and other than me being involved with what the corrective action is to make sure that we're consistent, it's it's really up to HR and labor to do that stuff. No questions okay. on the compliance so. dashboard. Okay, and then our follow-up. Okay. Any other questions? I did have one question about the uh, the uh, prescription pads. It seemed like it came up twice. Again, I can't remember. It's been several times. It's been okay. Uh, and there were four incidents under uh, no compliance and ethics. Uh, is this something we you're optimistic we're going to get our hands on? I mean, this is pretty serious, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so prescription pads. Uh, what we found was uh, the first report. A doctor had left uh, the prescription pad in their unsecured cubby and it was sitting on top of some other paperwork and they said they were on vacation for a couple days they came back and it was gone Wow uh, and then we got another report that somebody had, had walked into a clinic and picked one off the counter and, and it and was like well why are you leaving these things laying around so you know we implemented some procedures and in fact they started using the Pixis machine where you have to go in and punch in an account number in order to have the drawer open so you can get your prescription pad out yeah right. one off issue it uh, or we uh, got some locking cabinets different places so that these things could be secure uh, so especially after we uh, started looking into it and it was more than we have four reports, but it's been 14 or 15 prescription pads stolen. Wow. So uh, we really had to do something. We had to do it quick. And uh, there have been arrests made. Uh, former employees that have come back in the premises, knew their way around, knew where to walk in and, and pick things up. So uh, been working with our cures uh, department at the state to uh, kind of cross-reference everything and, and make some arrests. Okay. Wow. Probably want to go back to that later, see how we're doing. Mm -hmm. it, it's an ongoing thing, especially we, we always keep an eye out for prescription pads when we do the uh, HIPAA walkthrough walk assessments uh, too, because if we say, see one laying around, it's it's in our pocket. That might have been the other place where I saw it. <laughs> yeah, it's in your pocket. <laughs> the supervisor, right? Yeah. Where'd that thing go? Uh, so yeah, that's it's on our checklist to, to look for and how they lock them up and 
right now. Fascinating. So we have the calendar here. That's all. Yep. Um, thank you. We have the calendar. We've got the our external auditors all on schedule. We did. Um, would we? We we had said that we were going to do um, an education session, and I think the Jeopardy was a really good thing to do. But at some point in time, I think some of what you do for the Leadership Academy, even if it was a self-study module or something that we got, I don't know. But I just think the compliance is something that the board really needs to kind of do some education on on an annual basis. So whether it's at a meeting or it's in some other form, pre-reading for the full board, we need to make sure that that happens. Just get me on the schedule, I'm there. Okay. Oh, I have it ready. You seem to have a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> it's his ready material. Okay, and then I think... Um, I knew it was coming. Issue tracking. Completed your uh, compliance training for the full board. We should, um, we do have that target date. We'll, we'll add a date. I don't want to put a date right now, depending on how your, you know, plans are going. Maybe in September we'll come up with a plan. Right. So, sorry, I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I wanted to ask, because we did have a date of 428, which coincided with the retreat. And That's what I said. The Jeopardy thing that we did was really good. But you want it, you want it more. Even if it was a self-study module or something, but something a little bit more substantive that will sync with us and gotcha. stay with us okay. materials because I think the board needs at least one a substantive okay. compliance training a year. So you want to uh, not count, you want to revise this date and, and keep the... I think we should keep this date, yeah. We can add an additional one if we wanted to do oh, that. But we did, we did do something, so I think... Did, just for your tracking purposes, to reflect that you did do yes. some kind of water board education, but if you want to add to it, it does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Rick. And, yeah, whenever we get that scheduled, and if that, that's at a board meeting or a retreat or whatever. Probably retreat might be a better time to do something, maybe October retreat at another 30-minute session. We'll see. Okay. The retreat committee will be meeting yeah. to plan anyway, so. So should oh I just put there a target date by year end and? Yes, before the calendar year. Okay. Any other comments from fellow trustees, public comments? No. No? Anything else from you? No, I'm good. All right. <laughs> so with that, I move that we Attend the meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you very much.